Welcome back to Sciencing from Home, a podcast from the UIC Las Ganas program. I'm Veronica Ariola, program director of Las Ganas, and I'm using this podcast as a way to keep in touch with our students as we work from home during the COVID-19 pandemic. For this episode, I chatted with Freddie, who is a student, then joined our staff, and is now on his way to medical school. We're also just weeks away from the start of the fall semester. I want to take this moment and ask for patience from students. We are working hard to adjust our programming for the fact that most of your classes will be online and you won't be on campus much, if at all. So we're working on creating engaging programs online over Zoom, Facebook, and Instagram. This semester will be even more important to read your UIC email so you not only know what we have planned, but to make sure you know what UIC has in store. In the spring, we heard from far too many students who missed out on emergency funding because they weren't reading and responding to their emails. Everyone keeps saying that this is an unprecedented times and we need you to be on alert for changes in campus policies, but also opportunities. Many of your classmates will be presenting at national conferences and some of those conferences uh, might be streaming their content for free. So we will alert you of important offerings like this in our weekly newsletter and our social media channels. To new students, welcome to UIC. To continuing students, welcome back. This will be my 26th fall at UIC. I missed a few falls along the way with other adventures. Um, I started UIC as an undergraduate majoring in biological sciences. Over my four years as a student, I picked up a women's studies minor. I worked at the Field Museum and the Fishes Division and had the opportunity to present at professional conferences and experience field work. I say all of this because you have no idea what UIC has in store for you, but you need to look up, look around, and pay attention to what is happening. Sometimes that means finding a few offices, professors, or advisors to really check in with and listen when they tell you about an opportunity. Or when a professor in a field that you didn't picture yourself in suggests that you look closer at that field. On one hand, keep your eye on your goals, but don't let that keep you from exploring other avenues. And if your journey at UIC takes a bit longer than you had planned, just keep moving towards graduation and your goals. I'm as excited for this semester as every other one before. It's different indeed, but we still have the same goal to make sure you get the most out of your stay at UIC. So let's get to Sciencing from Home with Freddie. All right, welcome to Sciencing from Home. Today I am talking to Freddie, who has a unique position in the Las Ganas universe. He was a student, a mentor, and now he is a staff member, but actually he's on his way out because he's going to med school. Um, Freddie, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and tell, a little, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Veronica, for uh, having me on this podcast. This is really awesome, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my name is Freddie. I actually graduated from UIC with a biological science degree in 2018. I took two gap years, and during that time, I was working for Las Ganas. I did a little bit of research, and then I applied to medical school last year, and I'm currently a uh, 2024 candidate for the UIC uh, College of Medicine. That's so exciting. Um, Definitely. And <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your research that you did? Because you were in uh, Dr. Alfonso's lab. 
who is yes, RPI on the grant. Yes. yes, I was actually with the one and only Dr. Alfonso Raixa, and I was a assistant initially uh, to Lillian. So she actually is going to get her PhD very soon. And what I was doing was I was doing research on neurogenesis in C. elegans, which are a model organism. It's a really tiny worm, basically. And what we were doing research on was uh, the H, it's called HLH3 homeo. It's basically a transcription factor. And what we were essentially trying to figure out was what happens with, with the mutant animal when we get rid of that transcription factor. And so what happens is that like what I, what I was doing specifically was I was helping Lillian tag some neurons with like GFP, which is just the fluorescent that we are able to see in the animals. And what, what I was quantifying is like, okay, what does, what does this worm look like in the wild type when it's wild type? So when it's just a normal worm. And then what does it look like when uh, the transcription factor or HLH3 has been removed, uh, which are known as the mutants. And I was just seeing different neurons and how some neurons, uh, they don't generate when this uh, HLH3 factor is removed and some neurons do. And so I was, I didn't get too far into the research before I stopped working with, um, with Lillian because I had to start studying for my MCAT and then I was also working at the time. But I was kind of like in a blind study where Lillian was not telling me exactly what was going on. So I was out of the loop. I just had to quantify a lot of different, uh, different results from uh, the, the worms. And then later I had to present and I'm like, okay, this is kind of what I found. And then the, uh, Aixa and Lillian already knew, uh, they, they just wanted it to verify whether my results that I found are gonna be the same that were reported in another journal and what they were, cause uh, they had already read the research a lot or specifically Lillian had, and she might've had a bias towards like the results. And so that's why they brought me in and that's essentially what I did. But I always bring this up and something that I found really interesting when I started doing research was that, especially when I was quantifying uh, a lot of the data is that I didn't really understand the difference between doing novel research and just learning in a regular curriculum like chemistry hasn't changed for what like uh, over 100 years like what was like we, we know some things that maybe we learned like uh, or I, I should say that for like physics chemistry and like very basic biology like a lot of the stuff has not changed recently and it's what we learn like in the in the curriculum it's basic just about the same you buy a book from this year from 2020 it's probably going to be the same as the book from 2018 so a lot of the stuff has already been discovered and you can go online you can google it you can use any search engine you can ask your professors oh i don't understand this specific concept and they're able to explain it to you uh usually pretty well when it comes to research and especially if it's novel or something that hasn't been done before there is really nobody that you can ask uh you could obviously i could ask uh lillian or dr alfonso like what i'm like oh i'm struggling with this i'm struggling with that but you kind of have to learn like some critical thinking skills and be able to you know kind of come up with your own like conclusions or I'm sorry, hypothesis or why like your certain results might look a certain way. And that's something that challenged me and I was not used to. I was also like, okay, I can go on Google, but I can't Google something that I'm doing very specifically. So I thought that was very interesting and a really good distinction between uh, working like in a lab or doing research or, or just doing empirical uh, evidence-based science versus something that you learn in the classroom. I find it fascinating that 
uh, the way you were doing research, because the way we talk to our research fellows about doing research is um, doing all this background knowledge and going in and finding the answer. Your, your research experience was, was a bit more about um, verifying the answer. Um, and you were almost an experiment yourself a little bit. Like you said, you were, you were blind. You didn't know which samples or what was expected um, yes. where Lillian and Ixa did. And so you were verifying um, their work to ensure that there wasn't bias. Yeah. So I believe what they were, uh, what, what happened was that they were trying to replicate a, another study and trying to verify whether that other study or another journal was published, whether that those results were, you know, they could be replicated. And so um, I think just because of like all the time that they spent doing their research, they were a little bit biased towards like maybe they want to see certain results. And so they might start, they're like, okay, yeah, I've kind of seen it. And so they wanted to avoid that. Uh, and so that's what they brought me in for. So yes, I really wasn't sure what was going on in the, initially. Like I was being told like some things and I was reading, uh, you know, I was reading the literature and I was understanding more about C. elegans and what specifically HLH3 was and what mutants look like and what mutants don't look like. But when it came to what they were trying to verify, I wasn't sure. And I was like, look, this is what I found. And then they're like, okay, yeah, okay. That's kind of what we were expecting. And so that's, that's the way it went for me. And I just felt like, I was like, oh, sometimes I'm just so lost. And I'm just like, oh, what's going on? Like, what's, and I was like <laughs> it, was, it was very interesting, very challenging, but I really, really enjoyed it, honestly. Yeah, I can definitely see how it's challenging. I know that over the years when I've talked to students, especially when they get into the lab, they feel so lost as it because we're so used to going into science, thinking that there is one right answer. And if we don't find that right answer, there's something wrong with us. And the being in the lab just explodes that. Um, framework uh, because you are trying to figure out the answer um, that sometimes nobody knows what that answer is um, and sometimes you're just trying to figure out the direction towards an answer so uh, the struggle that you had <laughs> the challenge you had in the lab is um, something that I think was going to really I hope will serve you really well in med school in terms of uh, being able to struggle with that idea that there isn't always an answer, but possibly a direction. Oh, definitely. And that's the way, like, that's such a great point, Veronica. That's essentially what, like, how medicine is. Like, there's so much about medicine that we don't understand, and it's being, like, and then we still don't understand, and there's certain things that we can treat. Like, for example, like, they say, like, as far as, like, when you take Tylenol, we understand that it helps with aches and stuff like that, but we don't understand the biochemical pathways. And so there's so much that, that we don't know, and, you know, that's, that's why people are continuing to do research. Uh, all the time because they just want to continue trying, but sometimes you, you're not going to find an answer, maybe not in our lifetime. But I will say what you, I want to bring up something that you brought up earlier about the struggle. It was interesting because initially when I started working at Ixos lab, it was more about like uh, reading literature and which wasn't like uh, too difficult in itself and uh, kind of following directions and like, okay, this is how you do PCR. This is how you do gel electrophoresis. This is how uh, you get certain uh, genotypes for the worms that we were looking for. And then that, which wasn't too difficult initially, but once it came to the actual, like quantifying the data and like trying to like find results, trying to like make sense of these results, that's when it started to become a lot more challenging. 
So initially it wasn't like, which I don't anticipate that's usually the case. In the beginning, it wasn't too bad. I was like, okay, this is, this is doable. I understand because I also was going to school at the time, but it was like towards the end when the struggle came. So like, it was like invert, it, it was the inverse of what I assume uh, other students uh, feel or what they go through. So I definitely hear that. I've heard that from students who start off in labs and they think that that onboarding work is, is definitely something not only that they can do, that they rise to that challenge, but sometimes even um, rudimentary and too basic and get itchy about just let me get to the good stuff, quote unquote. Um, so how did you manage that, that itch to do more faster? Well, luckily um, for me, I had 18 credit hours of, uh, <laughs> of school to worry about. So I wasn't like super like, oh, I want to get into like uh, creating my own like problems until a little bit later because what I, well, I started with AXA, uh spring of 2018. And so that was uh, a very, very busy, some very busy semester for me. And then I continued doing research with Lillian over the summer, which is when I started to get a little bit more curious. And I started thinking like, okay, now I want to do a little, a little bit more. And also the way it was for me, at least is that I, I went to UIC just about three years with no type of, I didn't even know what research entailed. And the reason I wanted to do it was because I just was really interested to seeing what like scientific research was all about, like what it, what it entailed. I had almost no understanding of it. And I've read some journals, but still, it, it's nothing compared to when you're actually in the lab and you're doing bench work and you're looking at different, you know, actually carrying out different experiments. So that hopefully that answered your question. It was more towards the summer. And luckily, during that time when I was during the summer, I started to get uh, more responsibilities and I started to do more. So that kind of like satisfied that itch a little bit. Awesome. Um, so... The last couple of years, you've been in the uh, Las Ganas office, and you know we've been working from home. Uh, and you are going to start med school next month, August, <laughs> um, and most of it is going to be virtual, correct? How that you, is correct. Yes. Which? How are you feeling about that? I I feel okay uh, because so I learned. During my undergrad years, initially, I was uh, during the first few years, I kind of I was working full time. So I was working over 40 hours a week, basically throughout most of my undergrad career. Some days, I'd, some weeks, I'd push over 50, 60 hours, and it was really rough. And then uh, I was being very inefficient about the way that I studied. I would, at least for me, I it was I felt like it was very inefficient. I would go to work from eight to four commute to school, I get to school around six, go to school from six to like 10 or six to nine and then try to get as much homework done as I could and then study as much as I could over the weekend. And then I started, what I would do is like, I would handwrite my notes and I realized that that took way too long, but I, I didn't know any other way. And then around my, I think it was around my junior year at, uh, during UIC, I took, uh, I took a heavier course load. And even though I was doing well, I, and I was like, okay, in this semester, I'm not gonna change what I'm doing but it is taking way too much time. I was like, it was like only like 50. Well, I mean, not to say only, it was 15 credit hours. It was somewhat, it wasn't super heavy, but it was still a lot of credit hours. And I was like, okay, I'm being very inefficient. And what I started to do was I basically started to find 
a way to become more efficient with my studying and I started typing everything and I since I commuted my commute was about an hour to an hour and a half daily I started to listening I started listening to my own notes I converted to mp3 when I was driving and so I started to become very digital about the way that I studied and I would watch a lot of lecture captures which I enjoyed doing a, a little bit more than than lectures just because I could if I didn't understand something I would rewind it and I would ensure that I understood things very well the first time around and then I wrote it down and then that way later I don't have to come back and relearn it like I would most likely forget a lot of the information but I didn't have to relearn it all over again from starting from scratch and so I felt very comfortable with the whole like yeah, I guess virtual learning is the way to say it. I, I feel very comfortable with it. So I feel okay, honestly. I was actually asking upper class students, like, you know, how often do I have to go to like these lectures and uh, in person? And they said, oh, not that often. Like they record it. So that was, I was like, I was like, before like the whole pandemic, I was like, okay, that's, that's great news. <laughs> so then I could rewind lectures and everything. And so I feel okay. Uh -huh. But, you know, medical school is not the same as undergrad. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But okay. I had I had made an effort to reach out to at least like 10 or 12 current med students or MS ones that are about to basically done. So they're going to be uh, MS twos or second year medical students. And I asked them like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about taking this approach. How do you how do you, do you feel like this is what I should do? And they're like, oh, they confirmed like my suspicion. So I'm going to take that approach and then adjust, you know, as I go go through the curriculum. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> how does it feel? How does it feel going into medical school in the middle of a pandemic and in, in the middle of the biggest public health crisis that this world has faced in probably a century? Yeah, it's such an eerie feeling, honestly, because I'm in this position where I'm, I'm most likely going to be asked by people like, oh, you're a medical student? Like, oh, what can I do this? But what can I do about that? And I'm just studying my medical education. And so although I'm learning a lot of the basic science behind it, I feel like kind of like helpless because like there's not much that I can really do except push, you know, obviously the policies that we know work like or I should say practices that work like social distancing, wearing a mask, you know, clean, cleaning hands. But it's just so eerie because I feel like I, I'm in this position where I wish I could help, but I can't help yet. And then I know the other thing that that's also kind of slightly concerning is that we are going to get uh, patient interactions. Usually you get patient interactions at the UAC curriculum starting during your uh, first year. <clears throat> you go to the, as far as I'm aware, go to the hospital and you interact with patients, learn how to like communicate properly with them. Uh, obviously, it's not going to happen during our first semester because of, you know, we haven't found a vaccine yet and we're being very careful. But from my understanding, during second semester, we're going to have a lot more in-person learning uh, just because of the way the curriculum is structured. It requires it. And so that is a little bit concerning. And since you know, Veronica, I have a baby at home. Uh, he is currently four months old. So that is just like some of my worries. Uh, but I try to be optimistic about it and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to take the necessary precautions. So we'll see. Just honestly, eerie is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Eerie is, eerie is a good word for that. Um, so looking back at your entire UIC career, your experience with Las Ganas, um, where, where do you feel like you've grown the most in terms of your role as a scientist, as a medical professional? Honestly, well, first of all, I want to say that working at Las Ganas has been 
probably the best job I've ever had. It's, I find it really fulfilling and I really enjoy, I love the work environment. I love my coworkers, everybody that I work with, have a great boss. I love working with (laughs) the students. It is incredibly fulfilling, like just talking and seeing someone that I kind of can, I can see this person was like very similar position that I was so like not too long ago and just being able to provide them with resources, with support and with help and be like, provide like a pathway or guide them like, Hey, this will work for me. This might work for you. And just having them reach out to me and tell me that like, this was work. You were right. Like, Oh, I see what you're saying. It's just, it's, it's very fulfilling. And I feel like that in that sense, I felt like I've grown the most because I've definitely solidified my, like my, my interest or my love for helping others. And I've, I always felt like it's something innate that people have. And it's definitely like, I'm like, okay, as I'm helping other people and it's really just like, um, I know I'm, I'm helping people that are not helping in the way that I want to help in my future career, but just the fulfillment that I get of it, I know that I found the right path. And also has also opened my eyes to the different injustices and just kind of structural violence and uh, just systemic racism that exists, uh, even within like institutions, uh, even within universities and uh, just the, you know, <laughs> the United States in itself. And so that kind of <laughs> has, yeah, that has opened my eyes a lot. And then so now what like it, I felt like I've already had this predisposition to helping uh, underserved communities yeah. and to helping people of color, but working at Las Ganas and really like my years at UIC, opening my eyes to all these different inequalities has really pushed me to uh, to try to become that physician that works in underserved communities, that is a leader, has the credentials, so then I'm able to advocate for the health of my community, for advocate for people of color from the neighborhoods that I grew up in, because I grew up in the Logan Park, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was like, I almost said Logan Park, so Humble Park <laughs> and Logan Square neighborhoods, uh, where before gentrification was a thing, it was primarily people of color that lived here, and so I was you know, I was living in the inner city, so I knew firsthand some of the issues that we deal with. I just didn't understand them, and I didn't know, obviously, how to articulate what mm-hmm. those problems were, but I could see them. Like, they were, like, it was right. very obvious. So that's kind of what the way I feel like I've grown, and it's like, okay, I know that this is what I want to do. I want to become a physician, so then I, and I can not only help, because, yes, helping people is um, what you do when you become a doctor or, or a physician, but it's more than just the individual. I feel like you have to help, uh, you can help other people. And I feel like you can do that in a much larger scale because I can help to push for like policy changes and reform. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I'm in the urban medicine program, because like, I feel like I'll have the credentials to do so and maybe have some, uh, gain some of the leadership skills to do so. But I still don't know how I can go about doing that. It's like, I want to get from point A to point B, but how do I do this? And like you can, I feel like those things can be self-taught, but I feel like I, uh, I thrive more in a structured environment, especially through like school curriculum. And so I think that's what UMED is going to be able to provide me with. I think so too. Oh. I'm really excited for that. Definitely. Um, I have been, I've been in this workspace working on, in STEM, working with students in STEM, um, diversifying the STEM workforce for over 20 years, but this is the closest I've ever been to the whole medical school application process. <laughs> Cause oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I did my undergrad at UIC as well. And I was a biology major. I was 
definitely not a pre-med student. So this whole thing has been more theoretical for me. And watching you go through this process has just been such a learning experience for me. And to see the ups and downs and the uh, different moments where the process has just kind of stopped and left you in a limbo. Um, Mm -hmm. and your resilience to just keep going and pushing and pushing and how you worked so hard to study and balance, juggle, (laughs) life, work, um, and now the baby. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's been, it's it's just been mind blowing uh, to watch. And I have absolutely renewed, uh, respect for pre-med students and all pre-health students who have to take time to study for this very, very hard exam that uh, really does decide where your your future lies. And as much as I rail about the um, standardized testing uh, regime, <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's something that it has to happen. Mm-hmm. And that you have to, that students have to go through, I should say. And um, watching you go through it was just, um, in some ways painful. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as I said, I, I've, I've come away from this, not only with more respect for you as a person and a scholar, uh, but for all of our pre-health students. Um, I knew it was hard and I knew it was painful, but like I said, this was the closest I've been to watching it. <laughs> Well, thanks, Veronica. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it is, right? Like you, you hear about certain stuff and you're like, oh, this is difficult. And, or, or like you hear, there's so much stuff about the world, right? That you hear. And it's like, until you are able to witness it either firsthand or through the eyes of somebody else, like you don't, it's really hard to, to understand what, what, what you really go through. Right. Cause like, you know, I, I knew I had to apply at one point. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to go through with it. But then in that moment, like, even like when I, I, I got my MCAT score, right like back and I was like disappointed it's not what I I wanted for and like it's not what like my like average you know test uh, scores were and then like it's like it's it's this feeling where like this is where my career like what I wanted am I potentially not going to be able to get the career that I want because of this one score or this one interview but then later you keep going and then it ends up ends up or in my case ends up working out so I definitely definitely felt like it was it was a process so I want to get back to something you said earlier that as sure. an undergraduate, you were working like 40 to 50 hours a week, which is ridiculous um, on so yeah. many different levels. So when you, so when you talk to students now, or if you could talk to a student who is planning on that same kind of work schedule, what, what advice do you tell them? Oof. Honestly, I would probably tell them to avoid doing that if, if, if they're looking for or they're trying to go towards a similar uh, career path that I am going to, like medical school, since it's so competitive and it's going to continue to get uh, competitive, I would try to tell them to, uh, unless it's the absolute, like, find ways around it. Like, see, I, I did that because, and, I, you know, I'm partially to blame for some of those too, and some obviously not, but because I didn't make the effort to look for scholarships and look for other opportunities. If I had something like the research fellowship, what I'm able to get a stipend, I'm able to help my parents financially, which is the reason, a lot of the reason why I had to work. And so find other avenues to do so, or, you know, that's kind of what I would say if you absolutely if you can get around it, then do so because it was brutal. Like I, 
I would not do that well on my exams because I slept like four or five hours and like I had no time to like study and I was just working and it's something that I had to get done. So I would just encourage students to find other other means that to get that money that if you really need it. Uh, and if you can't and you absolutely must work 40, 50 hours, which I understand is the reality for some of our students, then I would tell them to do your best to try to be as efficient as possible and learn how to time management time management is key and how to manage your time just as meticulously as possible because that's kind of what I had to start I had to start learning and it wasn't until I started working that much and going to school where I had to develop those skills and it's better to have those skills beforehand before you start working and going to school than while you're in school trying to juggle everything trying to figure out because you can sometimes implode um, and so that's what I would say be very meticulous with your schedule and be very disciplined because if you you know if if you have only like three hours to study and you spend one hour on Facebook and Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok I guess kids <laughs> these days are on then that's an hour of studying that you lost and uh, especially if you want to go into medical school where it's competitive that might end up hurting you and not to say that that's going to completely handicap you moving forward but like it will it will cause some damage so that's Absolutely. what I would do. So you're going to be at UIC, <laughs> you're going to be at med UIC med. And mm -hmm. so we will be able to stay in touch and follow your journey. Definitely. Is there anything else you wanted to say about your time at UIC so far? Um, let's see. I think that's, I think we covered just about it. I, I would say um, maybe some general advice for pre-med students. All right, uh, let's, could, let's hear some general could, advice. If I, see if I could provide some. Definitely find a, uh, if obviously, you know, everybody uh, take, you know, everybody will go through their college education and find out whether medicine is the right path for them or not. And if it isn't, then that's totally fine as well. And if it is, then that's also super awesome. Now, I would say that if you're that set in uh, medical school and becoming a doctor is something that you want to do, then I would encur highly encourage students to pursue a major <laughs> and we we preach this all the time that is easy just so because medical schools don't really care about what like you majored in as long as your gpa is you know like right at their median or it doesn't necessarily have to be at the median but as long as you have a good gpa and a good mcat score then choose it choose any major you want that you find interesting not just because i i feel like i made that mistake when i went into uic was that i was thinking oh okay i have to do biological science because that's what everybody does or that's the one that matches the most with the pre-med curriculum so i was like okay let me do biological science don't get me wrong and i really i really did enjoy it but looking back i wish i would have chosen something else because i was going to have to take those most of those classes anyway and i wish i had learned uh, other other things that you know would have probably benefited me uh, not to say that learning bi biological science didn't benefit me but also benefit me like maybe taking some some business classes uh, mm -hmm. or maybe taking some economics which I did take some economics classes but not really in depth they were very intro uh, very basic economics classes and also I would highly encourage students to Continue to do their hobbies. Don't feel like because you're applying to medical school that you just have to do all school, all research, all like that's that's not the case. Like there are sections within the uh, AMCAS application where you can fill in hobbies and fill in other things that you like to do. And so be be who you are. Continue to be who you are because medical students, uh, medical schools, as you say, like from what I've seen, like asking about those things. Like oh, you like building computers? Then like that's something that's a great talking point and something unique that not a lot of people like to do. And so it's a way that you can stand out. And also 
get involved in uh, different activities, leadership uh, or leadership activities or volunteer opportunities that you are truly interested in and passionate about. For example, I like to give my example that I did coaching Little, Little League football or tackle football in the Humble Park neighborhood. And I really love doing this. And I felt like when I was asked about this during the interview trail, like that I could speak very passionately about it because it's what I enjoy doing it. And technically counted as community service. But for me, it's just, I just love to do it. Like I've played football since I was like 10 and it was just a very enjoyable experience. And these are things you can put in your application and they count. So definitely do some of those things that you, you genuinely enjoy. And I'm sure that that passion came through during your interview and was one of the things that helped make you stand out. I've definitely heard from people who do med school interviews or applications and even other things that are highly competitive that uh, a 4.0 is no big deal. Uh, They've got a ton of them. They've got a pile of them. They're looking for people who stand out and who Mm -hmm. look passionate. So, um, being passionate about medicine is one thing, being able to speak about, about um, football and coaching it in your neighborhood is probably what makes you stick in somebody's head. Yeah, that's definitely, that's absolutely right. Because if you think about it, medical schools also want to recruit unique individuals, right? Not just like, I mean, not to say that there's anything wrong with it, right? But I, I have heard from other, uh, from uh, other admissions committees that because uh, you're able to talk to the uh, AAMC to some of them and they'll, they'll be like yeah I've had the student that like you can tell that they were just checking off boxes like they, they didn't like the work that they're doing they just did it because that's what they were supposed to do and it becomes very evident when you're talking to them during an interview because I mean people that are in the admissions committee are MDs, MD, PhDs. These are people that like, are, you know, they can see right through like someone when that they're like, they're, they're just talking about something that they don't generally like, oh yeah, I went to this hospital and I did that. And it's like, oh, okay. You just kind of did it to check off a box. So that's why I say that because like, uh, if you can like find an activity that you're really interested in, really passionate about, it's very easy to talk about when you're in an interview and it comes out very natural. I feel like. Thank you. Um, you can have a couple of weeks between your time with Las Ganas and med school. What are you going to do? Are you going to do nothing? Are you just going to play with um, the baby? <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely got to devote a lot of time, a lot of family time. Um, I'm thinking about that, but I, right now what I'm trying to do is I, I've, I've, I've uh, steered away from, or I mean, I've kind of like being a little distracted, but like what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to uh, already develop a routine where I have like almost the entire day structured out. Like I'll, it, so it's somewhere roughly around like from 10 to from 10 to 2 I productivity just going to be later be studying right when I'm in med school there's productivity then I work out and then more productivity from 2 to like 6 and then the rest of the time just kind of to relax spend time with the family and, re, uh, and chill and then also you know be productive so for now it's working right from 10 to 2 I work and then I, I take a break obviously I take little small breaks in between and then I, I get a small like I eat lunch and I work out and then the other time I spend being productive. Uh, so that way, when I start medical school, I feel like it won't be such a big, like I hit the wall, like, whoa, I gotta start, I gotta start all over again. No, no I'm just gonna try to like make a smooth transition where it's just the same routine, except now I add studying to it, which I most likely am, I'm gonna have to adjust it and tailor it to like medical school. But one of the things that I am actually um, very excited about is that uh, I actually went like on Google and I looked up uh, like, 
Harvard Intro to Finance, like 101 or something like that. And I looked at their <laughs> syllabus and I downloaded like the textbook and I've been reading about it because I feel like, at least for me, uh, I'm a first generation, uh, I'm first generation here in the United States. So my parents came from Ecuador and what they did is they just worked minimum wage jobs all their lives. And so I feel like I don't really have a good grasp on finances and the way it works specifically in the United States. So, uh, and, and I feel like I'm kind of at a disadvantage and it makes sense, right? Like your parents, parents come from a different country. Like they don't know how like the financial institutions work here in the United States. They don't know how investing works, how uh, they can take advantage, right? Of compound interest through like investing in the stock market and those things. And so I'm like, well, I, I have no excuse. Like I speak English. I've been living in this country. Like I should be taking advantage of these things so I can pass that like knowledge on to my kids. So that's what I've been trying to do. I've got like some other economics book. I don't think two weeks is enough, but I want to kind of start to understand <laughs> the basics. So then I can start to like, you know, you kind of like learn a little bit more about how to yeah. like smartly invest my money and take advantage of interest. Because That's like, great. Why not? Yeah. Because my parents. That's like, exciting. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. So hopefully I learn enough to make, to be productive with my money, I guess. Oh, uh, we, I mean, you said we're, you're going to be at UIC. You're not going to be too far away from us. Um, oh yeah. And so we will keep in touch and maybe you can come back Definitely. and teach students some, some things about finance and taking hopefully. advantage of the system. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly what it is. <laughs> It's there, why not? Yeah, hopefully. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And good luck in med school. We will be here to cheer you on. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks again for joining me at Sciencing From Home. Thank you to Freddie for not just sharing your story and all that amazing advice, but also for helping to build Las Ganas into the program it is today. A reminder that you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at UIC Las Ganas and on Instagram at Las Ganas UIC, where once the semester starts, we will start up our Friday Instagram lives. You can also find us at lasganas.uic.edu. Do not forget to sign up for our newsletter if you're not on it. That is where we put so much information every week. Las Ganas is funded by the U.S. Department of Education through an HSI STEM Title III Part F grant. All opinions expressed in this podcast are reflective of the speaker and not our funder. Until next time, please keep washing your hands, stay inside, wear a mask, and take care. We really do hope to see you on campus soon. Peace.